You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Now, I'm not sure if you're at all like me in, in this regard. I know in many ways you're not, but uh, in this regard at least anyways. But there are times, especially over the last few months and even the last few weeks, and I'll be honest, that I, I, I can get rather sad. Even this morning when I woke up, there was just kind of a sadness, kind of a gloominess, um, just as, as um, just kind of on the inside, and, and the inside can also affect the outside, right? And, and um, just when I get thinking uh, about the uncertainty that we are facing, when I think of all that we have lost in recent months, um, just whether it be some smaller, more trivial things like the loss of sports, or there's no Armstrong Fair this year among all the other things that have been postponed and canceled. But, but then there's more significant things that have happened, job losses and, and just uh, question mark regarding employment statuses, or, or, or we've lost Sunday gatherings in, in the way that we used to gather, or graduation ceremonies, bridal or, or baby showers, or, or even funerals that don't allow grieving families the opportunity to truly grieve. And the list goes on on the losses. And and, and we start wondering, what is, what is the future going to look like in, in the weeks and the months ahead? What will it look like as they talk about a second wave and different things? To mask or not to mask, that is the question, it seems. And it just even seems economically we've lost so much. What will the recovery look like? Our country is just drowning in debt. Who's going to pay for it and how? I read this week that one of the western provinces here said that out of the various businesses that had to shut down for COVID-19, that they believe that 44% of these small businesses that shut down will not reopen once everything is, is ready to go full steam ahead. And that's sad. And then you think of the isolation and the lockdowns and the delays in, in the healthcare system now with medical tests and surgeries, and some of you are, are waiting for that, and, and, and it becomes frustrating and discouraging, and, and it's little wonder that drugs and alcoholism and discouragement and overdose and, and despair and suicide rates are, are soaring in just, in just incredibly sad ways. There's so much despair. Add to all of this just the massive divide that is taking place in society and even within the church, whether it comes to a person's personal view or perspective when it comes to your response or understanding or solutions or ideas or thoughts regarding the pandemic. Now add to that, more recently, the, the deep-seated racism and anger and the Black Lives Matter and the defunding of police and, and, and all the subsequent debates and laments and everything. And it's just like, it just gets going, going, going. And you just think, how can you keep up with all of this? And, and I mean, when 2020 started, it, it, it kind of already seemed like there were a lot of issues that we were dealing with as a society and as Christians and in our walk and in our faith. And, 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 and then you just start adding to this some of the personal and relational health and physical struggles, emotional struggles, financial insecurity, that was even before this, or, or, or just the, the battle that you have um, in, in, in a relationship or in a marriage or in the workplace with your boss or coworkers or, or, or with your children or uh, family members, and, and, uh, or it being Father's Day today, and, and, and just perhaps even the idea of Father's Day conjure, con, conjures up it's some feelings of hurt or, or loss or regret or, or sadness or feelings of failure if you're a dad or a grandfather. just Perhaps you're feeling, I'm not even doing that great of a job. Well, happy Sunday to you, hey? 
I mean, isn't this just, aren't you glad you tuned into church today? I mean, this is just, I mean, just really depressing, isn't it? But aren't these the realities that we face? And we just don't want to sugarcoat it and just say, oh, we're going to just, everything's going to be fine. No, we hurt and we, we grieve and we're confused and we're in despair in these areas. And so it's so important that we turn to the word of God. And you see, what tends to happen is that we can all have a tendency, and we do all do this in one way or another, to, we have a tendency to look at life through various lenses. Now, in our home, we, um, over the last number of years, have collected a good number of readers, I guess you could say. And, um, and so, as you can see here in this picture, there's a good supply of them. And, and I, I just actually this morning went and <clears throat> rounded up the ones that I just qu- could quickly find around in our living room, dining room, kitchen, and in my study area. And, uh, and yet, our kids and Charlotte and I hear from one another, hey, have you seen a pair of glasses? I can't find any readers around. And and, uh, and, hey, and, and, and those of you little smart Alex watching right now and just thinking, oh, you're so old and, and whatever, your turn is coming. <laughs> and yes, it will. And you will be doing that because I used to be sitting like a little smart Alex like you um, at, at one point and, and, uh, and, and, and that will also happen to you. And, and, uh, and so it will happen. But, but we go through our day, each one of us, and, and it's like we are, are looking through various lenses at life and the battles and the struggles that we face. And, and you see, this can simply at times just, just boil down to the lenses that we're looking at, at life and, and, and the perspective that we have oftentimes has to do with what is it that we think about the most often? What are the things that we are obsessed with? What is at the forefront of our thoughts when we're driving to work or when we're driving home or, or, or when we just kind of have that downtime sitting on the deck or, or, or in the middle of the day or the middle of the night. Th- those, those feelings, those thoughts, the, those kind of controlling kind of thinking that's in our minds. And, and perhaps, and I've written on some of these lens, some, some of the things that, that can control our, our thinking and, and be the focus, in, in a sense, in our, in our lives, whether that be happiness or, you know, just want to be happy, and so I'm going to do whatever it takes to be happy, or money, or investments, or, or possessions, or, or career advancement, or, or, or maybe we live for the praise of people, and that's really important to us, to, to please others, or, or to be in control. you got to be in control of the situation at all times, or of people. Now, regardless of whoever, whatever, that's just, you know, your lot in life. Or, or perhaps it's looking at life through everything through a health and a fitness lens. Or, or just, you want to have fun. It's all about the party. Let's just have a good time. Or maybe it's all about friends. Or, or maybe it's about a reputation or good grades or how many followers or likes you have on social media. And, and so you look at kind of like everything in those kind of lens. And it's what we get fixated on. And the one thing that happens is whatever we become fixated on the most, it usually will become part of our sense of identity. And and our self-worth and our significance are tied to that. And, And if these things, like the things I just described, if they're trending well, well then we are doing just fine. But if they're not, you better watch out. There's going to be a price to pay. Now, now, what I'm saying here about all those things on, on, you know, written on the screen there a few moments ago and the things I've mentioned, I'm not saying that they're bad things and that we should run from every one of them. 
Some of these can be good things. But you see, when good things become God things in our lives, they will never satisfy. They will always, 100% of the time, they will lead to anger or discouragement or emptiness or disillusionment because it won't last or it won't give to us the promise that we thought that it would give in, in feelings and in emotions and in, in, in whatever it might be. Now, in First Peter... Let's remember, Peter, the apostle, is writing to Christians who are facing very uncertain times. And for them, the future looked incredibly bleak. They were facing growing opposition because of their faith in Jesus Christ. They were suffering economically, relationally. Their personal safety was, was at risk, and it was only starting to mount in a greater way. That terrible persecution, it wasn't coming for these churches in Asia Minor quite yet, but it already had started in Rome and was spreading. And so here we have Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this letter. He gives some practical instructions to us, but before he gives us the practical instruction and teaching of how we are to live, how we are to act and react in troubled times, he first of all takes the first section, the first 12 verses, to remind us of something so important. He reminds us of our salvation, to get our focus on, off of all of the other things in life and get our focus on Christ, what he has done and what he has done in our lives. And so in a sense, it is to put on the gospel lens and, and to see everything through the gospel. And, and I just wrote out some aspects of it and there's so much more. I could have filled these lens up with, with all kinds of things um, that could have been written on here. Because if we are in Christ, if you are in Christ, if you are one of his children, yes, we may be strangers and exiles in this world, as Peter started out the letter reminding us, but we have been born again to a living into a confident hope through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And that means that we are loved, we are forgiven, we are redeemed, we are rescued, we are adopted into God's family. We experience God's grace. We experience his mercy, his cleansing. We have an inheritance kept secure in heaven for us that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And it will be guarded and guided until we see Christ face to face. It will be kept in the gospel truth. And when we look at life through the lens of the gospel, when we put those kind of glasses on, there is hope, there is safety, and there is security. And we have spent the last four weeks working through these amazing truths, these, these first nine verses. And today we're going to look at the last three verses in this section, verses 10 to 12. And today we are going to see the depths and the length of our salvation, all that Christ has done. Now, oftentimes for me, and this is a true confession, but I think I might be in good company in this, that oftentimes when you read verses like what we're going to read today in verses 10 to 12, you kind of just maybe quickly skip over it and you go, I don't know. I don't know what that meant. Hmm. You know, I, I'm not sure. You know, kind of get it, but not really. And, and, and we oftentimes don't take time to dial in and, and, and zero in on what um, the author is saying, what God's word has to say. And, and in these three verses, there's so much meaning and so much significance and truth for us. And so we're going to read it right now. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, 
in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This morning we're going to look at the, the lengths and the depths of our salvation. That salvation Looking at it with the gospel lens that I trust that we will see and we will view how great this salvation is. And the first thing that we see here is we need to look at how the prophets spoke and searched. Look at verse 10. I'm going to read it again. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the salvation that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Now, now Peter here is referencing when he's talking about these prophets, he's talking about the Old Testament prophets. He's talking about from Malachi to Moses, essentially. Or I, I said that backwards, from Moses to Malachi. And, and they, these prophets throughout the Old Testament spoke over a period of about a thousand years. Godly men being filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, given revelation from God to write the pages of Scripture. And that is what we have before us. All of them, all throughout, testifying to God's salvation that would come one day. You see, salvation is the theme of the Bible. It's not just a whole bunch of little stories and a whole bunch of books, not just 66 books and a bunch of stories. It, the Bible is one story with a, a theme throughout, which is God's redemptive work, his plan of salvation. And so Peter is reminding us here that our salvation, our salvation that so oftentimes we take for granted, so oftentimes we just kind of, you know, just, you know, understand it. We have, I trust, experienced it. But what we have is so rich and so deep, and it started back in the Old Testament. The Old Testament prophets, they knew that redemption was at the heart of God, and they knew that one day he would provide a redeemer, a savior, a messiah. And, and that promise started in Genesis chapter 3, where it says that the messiah, the promised one, would one day crush the serpent's head, the serpent being Satan the one who came and deceived Adam and Eve. Now, now here are just a sampling of the verses that, that promise the Messiah. There are so many, we could fill up a few screens full of them. And the Old Testament prophets wrote prophecies about his birth, what he would do here on this earth, how he would preach and how he would heal. They would foretell of, of how he would suffer, how his beard would be plucked out, that he would die on the cross, that he, but it also promised his resurrection, told us how the government would be upon his shoulders and and so many promises, and, and so many of them have been fulfilled in Jesus' first coming, and they will all be fulfilled once and for all by his second coming. And whether it was Moses, David, Isaiah, Jonah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Zechariah, and so many more, all of them testifying to the gracious mercy of God and the salvation of God that would come one day through the promised one. All of the Old Testament points to Jesus. Even the idea of the substitutionary atonement, the substitutionary shedding of blood, the sacrificial system we see in the book of Leviticus, all pointed 
ultimately to a better sacrifice, to a sacrifice once and for all that would come. Jesus, who would be the Lamb of God, who would take away the sins of the world. Now, now these prophets just didn't, you know, kind of just go, just, just write down what they were told, kind of say it, write it, forget it. No, look at what it says in verse 10. It says, they searched and inquired carefully. Verse 11, there's the word inquired once again. These are strong, strong words, meaning they carefully, carefully sought, searched with intensity. It was a life devotion. It was, maybe today it would be like performing an autopsy or an audit and, you know, just, just right down to the minute detail. And, and they considered everything that they had written, what the others had written previous to him, to what that prophet had written. And, and it was like they were trying to piece it all together. I'm getting a little bit ahead of me, so you can just take that one off. Just wait for the cue there, all right? And so it, it's, it, it's like trying to, to piece together all of this in such a way that, um, that we would be able to, that they would at least try to be able to get it all to work. And so uh, now the cue, you see it highlighted there, the 40,000-piece puzzle that um, you can buy um, today, you can go and buy it on uh, a few websites. I believe Amazon has us a one price for this. This is 40,320-piece puzzles. Uh, apparently, it's seven meters by two meters. Now, could you imagine taking that puzzle piece, take, taking that puzzle and trying to put it together, how long that would take, how much work it would take? Well, for the Old Testament prophets, they devoted themselves inquiring and researching of this great salvation. They were so intrigued. They were trying to piece it all together, trying to figure out the prophecies from those who had written before, trying to figure out the who, the how, the when. And and each promise, each prophet saw glimpses and, and they hoped and they longed for the Messiah. They were trying to get more pieces together. They hoped and longed for it but they never saw it fulfilled. You know, I think of my grandparents, Gustav and Wanda Lutzer, who immigrated to Canada, both of them uh, living over 100 years old. My grandfather passed away 12 years ago now at the age of 106, and my grandmother died eight years ago at the age of 103. Here they were celebrating their 76th wedding anniversary. They ended up uh, making 78 years together before my grandfather passed away. Now, it's an interesting fact about them, and, and you're going to just see a few pictures scroll by. Um, they met for the first time in a little evangelical church. So this picture was taken shortly after they were married. A little evangelical church in Lang, Saskatchewan, and kind of an interesting fact in kids, don't you get any ideas, especially my kids? Gustav and Wanda uh, met in church one Sunday. Gustav walked her home after church, and he proposed to her on the spot. Three weeks later, they were married after church. There was a potluck, and people said it was just a beautiful, beautiful day of celebration. Here's a picture now of their five kids, and my dad is right in the middle. And, and you think for my grandparents, you think 106 and 103 years, just think of the technology, the changes and the advancements that were made during their lifetime. From farming with horse and plow to great big mighty tractors and combines that would roll up and down the fields. 
I remember one day visiting them, and, and uh, they were convinced and, and very upset that Safeway store, they had been in Safeway store earlier that day, that day, and they were convinced they heard the voice of the devil. Very serious. They thought it was the voice of the devil. You see, Safeway had just brought in those automatic scanners, and, and when they first came out, some of you will remember this, they actually said the price, like five forty one three. 15, $3.15, drove everyone crazy. So I think they got rid of that and just settled for the beep. But they were convinced. They're like, who else could know those prices? Who, how, how could that work? They just take and they scan that by and, and how could that ever be? Or, or I think of the technology when they uh, got a TV finally in their house in, in Regina where they were uh, living, and then a few years later, uh, a VCR. And my grandfather was always very intrigued by technology, and so he was excited to get this VCR as a wedding anniversary gift. However, they only had one video for the longest time, and it was of their cataract surgery that they had had. And so it was like, oh, come over, see our VCR, and they would put in the one videotape they had, and it was the cataract surgery. I don't know how many times I watched cataract surgery. I could have become an a, a eye doctor, perhaps, out of that. No, I'm glad I didn't. But, um, and, and you just think over those 106 years, the advancements that they saw, that they learned and, and even at times got to enjoy. You know, today, you and I, you think of the prophets as a span of over a thousand years and, and just the different prophecies that were being pieced together, but it was never fulfilled until Jesus came to stable in Bethlehem. Today, you and I stand so privileged and blessed at the time of history. The prophets, they only looked and they saw glimpses of this salvation and now we get to see it in its beauty and its awesomeness. We see that all the promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ in the word of God. The promises fulfilled in the finished work of Jesus Christ. This is the good news. This is the best news ever. That our holy God, our creator God, gave his first and his best, his only son to come to this earth, to live a perfect life, to die a sacrificial death for us on the cross, dying for our sins, our failures, our shortcomings, our mess-ups. And for all who would receive him, repent and turn from their sins and take him as their Lord and Savior, he adopts and brings into his family and gives us every blessing in the spiritual realm. That's the gospel. You can't get any better from that. And that's why we repeat it every Sunday, virtually every Sunday, every message you hear, you will hear the gospel. Why? Because it is so important. And you say, yes, I know it. I've heard it week after week, Meldon. But then when it comes to sharing the gospel, we, can't, we kind of be, get quiet and, and we're like, well, I don't know what to say. It's just saying what I just said and sharing the gospel and these realities with people. You see, the news can't get any better than that. Those are the lens by which we need to be looking at life and we need to be looking at relationships and our future. We look at all in that way. And so I wonder today, what are you fixated on? What's drawing your attention? You see, we oftentimes look away and we look at lesser things. And oh, how, how important it is and, and in my own life and I trust in your life that there would be a new and a deeper gospel obsession in our lives that we would, in all things, we would look to Christ. That, that in all things, we would be able to point to Christ, not to ourselves. In all things, we would read of Christ in his word. One of the great things about my grandfather that I just left a, a lasting impact on, on my life was 
As a college student, I would go driving past their home after being out late with, with friends, and, and it would be 11 o'clock, 11.30, sometimes 12 a.m., and I would see the light in their living room on Broadway Avenue still on. And I remember being over there one time and saying, how come, Grandpa, who's up so late? How come the light's on in the living room? And my grandmother just looks, she says, that's, that's Daddy. He just loves the Word of God. And he just loves to stay and he reads the word of God. And he said, he says, the pages just fly by. And so we read of Christ. We speak of Christ. We make much of him. We partake of Christ in his sufferings and in his life that he calls us to live. We put our hope in Christ. We invite others to Christ. How Christ and the gospel, it just applies so much to our daily struggles and our battles and our relationships and our joys and our victories. See, the gospel just isn't for beginners. It's just not the ABCs and then you move on to other things. The gospel is the A to the Z of the Christian life. And so we see how the prophets spoke and they searched, but second of all, we see here, look at how the the Holy Spirit inspired Verse 11, it says, where the Spirit of Christ in them. The Spirit of Christ here is another name for the Holy Spirit. The prophet and the Holy Spirit was the Spirit of Jesus. That when he told his disciples that, that they would receive the Holy Spirit, that he would be with them always. And he is with us through his Spirit. And the prophets were not just simply writing things down out of their own thoughts, you know, going up to a mountain and being inspired and then writing things down. Ooh, I think... No, they were filled. They were empowered with the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit led them to, to, to write in their language, in, in, in their setting that they were in, the Word of God. In 2 Peter chapter 1, 21, tells us this so clearly, no prophecy for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were being carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see, this just isn't some book. The Word of God just isn't some book like any other book. It is a divine book. It is God's Word. It is God who spoke and men wrote. And we have God's Word today. And the third thing we need to look at is look how the disciples preached. Verse 12, it says, In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Here Peter is talking about the disciples. He's talking about himself even in this. You see, the same Holy Spirit that inspired the, the, the gospel writers or, or the Old Testament prophets to write the word of God as well as in the New Testament inspired and, and empowered the New Testament preachers, and, and, and fills and empowers us to be able to also speak God's word. But here we have specifically talking about the disciples of Jesus, and as well as the Apostle Paul, and, and in Acts 2, Acts 4, Acts 17 are just some of the, the areas, but we see it throughout the New Testament where Peter and then later Paul would walk in, into cities, into synagogues, into villages, and, and they would preach. And what would they preach? They would preach from the Word of God. Well, they didn't have the New Testament then. What did they do? They taught them from the Old Testament Scriptures, and, and they showed them the Old Testament prophecies, how they all pointed to Jesus Christ and how Jesus was the perfect fulfillment of those prophecies. Prophecies. And, and those are just some of the, the sermons that are in the book of Acts that, that do that and talk about that. That Jesus was the sacrificial lamb who takes away the sins of the world once and for all. 
And they declared and preached in the power of the Holy Spirit. They, they preached and proclaimed that today is the day of salvation. That if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation. They, they preached and proclaimed where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. They preached and proclaimed Christ and Christ alone. And even Paul, he says, I don't want to preach anything else. All I want to preach is the gospel. I just want to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And just as we desire to do that faithfully here at Hope Bible Church every Sunday, we desire to proclaim the gospel, these truths once again. What is it? That God is holy, man is sinful, that Jesus is the answer, Jesus is the cure, but we must respond to Him. And that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the good news. This is the good news of our salvation. And you might go, blah, 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 blah. I've heard this before. Again, we never get away from this truth, folks. We never get away from it because we need the gospel daily. If you're anything like me, there are still lots of me. There's lots that still needs to die, that needs God to work on. It is the gospel that exposes how weak we are, how still sinful and how we still battle with our flesh. But it also gives us hope and forgiveness and healing and power. The gospel is our only true hope. And, and, and look at this, this next part in here. Look at how the angels watch and celebrate. And this is our, our, our last point here this morning. Look how the angels watch and celebrate. You ever wonder what it would be like to be an angel? I mean, there's a lot of books. I mean, for the most part, a lot of bad books and movies uh, written about angels, a lot of different ideas about angels, and, and, and yet the whole concept and idea of angels derives from the Word of God. So, so don't you think that we should probably stick to the Word of God when it comes to figuring out our angel theology? I think that's a good, good consideration. But one common misconception among many others about angels that, that, that I can actually quickly clear this one up um, is that, first of all, we don't become angels when we die. We don't. We just do not see that in Scripture at all. We, are, we have been created quite differently than the angels. You see, the angels were created beings, and they were created sometime before Genesis 1. And they have been active all throughout time and history. Not for eternity, but time and history, at least here on earth. And, and we see various responsibilities from, from God's Word. And, and there'll be a few references. Again, you can jot these down. Um, and there's so much more. We see different responsibilities. They were messengers. They were warriors in, in the spiritual realm and at times in the physical realm. Just read some of those Old Testament stories. They, they worship and they praise God. They have been instruments of God's judgment and will be that again in the future. They, they bring action to prayer. They are sometimes the answer to prayers. Um, they encourage in times of danger. They care for the righteous at their time of death. You ever what happens to a person who's in Christ? When they pass from this earth, the angels care for them. And some of those references, but there's so many others. But here in verse 12, we get a further glimpse into what angels are doing. Look at this last part here, verse 12. It's just a short statement, but it is so rich and so powerful. It says, things into which angels long to look. 
What is it that angels are longing to look at? It's our salvation. It's the salvation that we have in Christ. It's all that, that they get excited about. You see, they have an interest, not just a casual interest in our lives, but they have a major interest in our, in, in our lives. It, that word long, where it says where angels long to look, it means with eager, overpowering interest, like a total, complete infatuation. In fact, they are glued to what is happening here on earth and in our lives. Angels, again, they've been very active in the story of salvation. We see them at the birth announcements for, for John the Baptist to Zechariah and Elizabeth and, and to Joseph and to Mary. They appeared and they sang to shepherds. When Jesus was born, they ministered to Jesus after his temptation. They were there announcing his resurrection. They were there at his ascension. They have watched from Genesis right up until now. They're watching the story of salvation unfold from the beginning of time here on earth until now. And they have a special interest. You know how if you are, um, and if I could get that wonderful bowl right now. Thank you very much. You know how when you are watching a movie, and it is just like one of the best movies ever, and you are just, I mean, it's just so good, right? Now, I didn't think this illustration true that I would have a full mouth of popcorn. So, should have some water too, because it's very dry popcorn. Anyways, so, hmm, it wouldn't be good to spit it out. Oh, that swallowed hard. Okay, next time, work through your illustrations before you actually do it. So anyways, let's just pretend you're just busy eating, and you're just enjoying this popcorn. I'm not going to start eating it anymore. And, uh, and, and so you're just eating it, and, and, and you're just so fixated on it. And, and I believe this is what we see the angels even doing here, as they just are so watching the, the events here on this earth. And if they were eating popcorn, they would just be doing like this. And then all of a sudden, they're watching. They're watching God working in the life of a person. They're seeing something happen. All of a sudden, it's like, woohoo! And they're celebrating, and they're excited because a sinner has been saved. And, and that's what it says that happens in, in the Word of God. They celebrate. Luke 15, verse 10, that they rejoice in heaven when a sinner is saved. They rejoice and they celebrate because of the work of redemption. And perhaps they're like, but I didn't see that coming. Did you see that coming? Yeah, I called it. I knew they were going to get saved. Because they don't know the future. They know the past and they know the word of God. And so they are very familiar, but they don't know the future. And so when, when a sinner repents and is saved, they celebrate and they rejoice. You see, folks, just even from these three verses, do you just see how rich and how powerful God's word is? How mighty it is. These three verses, we just see the goodness and the greatness of our God. And, and what we need to do with these truths and these realities is we need to treasure it. That's what we need to do, the salvation that he has given to us. We need to declare it and we need to, to, to thank Him. And even as we face the uncertainties in life, the confusion and the trials, we need, what kind of lens are we going to put on? Are we going to put on the, the lens that have to deal very much with ourselves? Or are we going to put the gospel lens on? What lens are we going to wear this week? The lens that it's all about me, it's all about my money, it's all about my happiness, it's all about relationships, or is it all 
about Jesus and the gospel. What set of glasses are you going to put on? The gospel lens or the me, man-centered, person-centered glasses? Looking at other people. If we look with the gospel lenses that others, we're going to respond to them with a heart of love and compassion because we see how much we've been loved, how much we've been forgiven. When we look at the world situation that seems hopeless, we can look beyond to the one who has promised a living hope. I listened, um, just listened to this statement. I heard this this week as I was preparing this message. This is an important statement. The gift of our salvation is greater than the grief of our suffering. The gift of our salvation is greater than the grief of our suffering. Oh, would we be caused, even now as we worship, to be able to declare the greatness and the grander vision of what God has done. Would we repent where necessary, take off those worldly, me-focused lenses and put on the gospel lens? And oh, would we declare even now in our worship, because you know what? We may be just be thinking we're going to hear a song now and we're going to maybe sing along. But you know, it's, it, we read in Ephesians 3 that even our declaration and our gathering together as the church, and even right now we're gathering virtually online, that as we worship the Lord together, we are making a declaration in the spiritual realm. To the angels, they're watching. They're worshiping. And they're, they're thinking, why aren't you giving it? Look at what Jesus has done. Why aren't you celebrating more? They've seen it from Genesis up until now, seen God's faithfulness and his promises fulfilled. And so we can learn from them. And so let's worship t- today as we declare, as we repent, and as we sing in Christ alone.